You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Leveraging Microsoft Dynamics 365 customer voice for credential harvesting, Emotet is back. Black Basta ransomware gang is linked to Fin7. A Russophone gang increases activity against Ukrainian targets. Betsy Carmelite from Booz Allen Hamilton on adversary informed defense. Our guest is Tom Gorup from Alert Logic with a view on cybersecurity from a combat veteran. And Russia regrets that old U.S. lack of cooperation in cyberspace. The Cyberwire Studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your Cyberwire summary for Thursday, November 3rd, 2022. Avanon today blogged about attempts by hackers to abuse Dynamics 365 customer voice a Microsoft product used to gain feedback from customers. Threat actors were found to be using legitimate appearing links from Microsoft notifications in order to send credential harvesting pages. One of the malicious emails looks like it's from the survey feature from Dynamics 365. It informs the victim that a new voicemail has been received. Another email provides a legitimate customer voice link from Microsoft, but when play voicemail is clicked... It redirects to a phishing link of a lookalike Microsoft login page. The malice is in the button. The actual phishing page doesn't show up until the end of the process. Avanon calls this style of attack the Static Expressway. Attackers follow the Static Expressway to leverage legitimate sites in a way that enables them to get past the security scanners that so many organizations use as a vital part of their defense. Avanon explains... The logic is this. Security services can't outright block Microsoft. It would be impossible to get any work done. Instead, these links from trusted sources tend to be automatically trusted. That has created an avenue for hackers to insert themselves. Criminal groups are protean, but not for the honest world in a good way. An example of their slippery adaptability may be seen in the reappearance of one notorious gang— that hadn't been heard from much since police began kicking down doors late last year. Emotet, the notorious gang whose activities have been largely suspended for five months due to disruption by international law enforcement operations, has returned to action, bleeping computer reports. Cryptolimus researchers found that Emotet suddenly resumed spamming at 4 a.m. Eastern time yesterday. The crime group is back in distro mode, Cryptolimus tweeted, Emotet had been associated with the Conti ransomware gang 
But since Conti went into hiding this past June, there have been signs that Emotet was beginning to collaborate with the Black Cat and Quantum gangs. As Cryptolimus said, Looks like Ivan is in need of some cash again, so he went back to work. Be on the lookout for direct-attached XLS files and zipped and password-protected XLS. There's similar changeability on display in the case of Black Basta. Researchers at Sentinel Labs report finding links between Black Basta ransomware and the Russian criminal group Fin7. The evidence is circumstantial, but regarded as convincing by Sentinel Labs, who state... We assess it as likely the threat actor developing the impairment tool used by Black Basta is the same actor with access to the Packer source code used in FIN7 operations, thus establishing for the first time a possible connection between the two groups. It can be difficult to separate criminal organizations. Their members are opportunistic, their organization fluid, but it seems that FIN7 may be, at the very least, closely cooperating with Black Basta. BlackBerry describes the recent activity of RomCom, a threat actor that presents itself as a financially motivated criminal organization, but which is more likely to represent a group acting on behalf of the Russian government. BlackBerry had earlier noted the group's use of spoofed versions of Advanced IP Scanner to hit Ukrainian military targets. The company's researchers have since found that RomCom has expanded its operations to exploit the brands of SolarWinds Network Performance Monitor, KeePass Open Source Password Manager, and PDF Reader Pro. BlackBerry explains, In preparation for an attack, the RomCom threat actor performs the following simplified scheme, scraping the original legitimate HTML code from the vendor to spoof, registering a malicious domain similar to the legitimate one, trojanizing a legitimate application, uploading a malicious bundle to the decoy website, deploying targeted phishing emails to the victims, or in some instances, using additional infector vectors. So far, Ukraine has been the primary target of the latest rom-com campaign, but there are signs pointing to some targeting of Anglophone countries, especially the United Kingdom. BlackBerry concludes, Rom-com Rat, Cuba Ransomware, and Industrial Spy have an apparent connection. Industrial Spy is a relatively new ransomware group that emerged in April 2022. While RomCom has sought to cloak itself in crime, the group seems to be working under the direction of a hostile intelligence service. BlackBerry says, Given the target's geography and characteristics combined with the current geopolitical situation, it's unclear if the real motivation of the RomCom threat actor is purely cybercriminal in nature. BlackBerry doesn't go this far, but it's difficult to resist the inference that RomCom is working for the Russian organs. And finally, there's a look at how Russia sees cyberspace, or more accurately, how Russia wants the rest of us to think it sees cyberspace. Newsweek interviewed Artur Lukmanov, acting director of Russia's Department of International Information Security, on Russia's views concerning international norms for the use of information communication technologies. Mr. Lyubmanov says that Moscow stands for goodness here, stating, Russia insists on the principles of justice, sovereign equality of states, non-interference in internal affairs, and peaceful settlement of conflicts. These are the principles of the UN Charter. 
In practice, this has meant central Russian control over the information accessible to its subjects. Sovereign equality and non-interference in internal affairs means Russia's ability to control the information its population receives. Mr. Lukmanov went on to argue that international norms in cyberspace should involve joint inquiry into cyber incidents, saying, We are striving to reach such an understanding that governments and their competent agencies could directly investigate cyber incidents putting aside unsubstantiated assessments. A demand to show us the evidence has long been the customary Russian response to accusations of misbehavior. He continued, Ideally, ICTs should be used for their intended purpose, as a means of communication, storage, and transfer of useful and creative knowledge for development, not destruction. Failure to reach an accommodation over such norms is all too likely, he said, to result in mutual destruction. We leave an assessment of Mr. Lukmanov's words as an exercise for the listener. In the meantime, if you're listening, U.S. Cyber Command... We've got just two words for you. Good hunting. Coming up after the break, Betsy Carmelite from Booz Allen Hamilton on Adversary Informed Defense. Our guest is Tom Gorup of Alert Logic with a view on cybersecurity from a combat veteran. Stick around. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. 
Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Tom Gorup served six years in the U.S. Army with the 10th Mountain and 101st Airborne Divisions in Iraq and Afghanistan, respectively, during which he earned several medals, including the Purple Heart. Tom is currently Vice President of Security Operations at Alert Logic. I was curious to know how his experience as a combat veteran has informed his approach to cybersecurity. My experience on the battlefield really helped uh, translate into the digital world when I started to make connections on how I was securing forward operating bases, how I was securing battle positions. So I was in the infantry, and it wasn't uncommon for me to have to set up battle positions on top of the mountainside or, you know, even on in land in Iraq. And when I was setting up these battle positions, we typically looked at, we used a tactic called Okoka, observation field of fire, cover and concealment, obstacles, key terrain, and avenues approach. When we were using these tactics, we were typically, what I've found over the years is that we were typically evaluating kind of three key pillars there. We're looking at visibility. We're trying to understand what these battle positions can see. We're looking at exposures. We're trying to identify where the weaknesses are. And then when we come under attack, we want to see how that attack is pointing out flaws or weaknesses with our, within our battle position and adjust accordingly. So once I started making those connections, I realized that it's no longer uh, these tactics and techniques that I learned while in the military uh, directly applied to digital space. I, I just had to learn my tools. I was no longer using claymores or machine guns. I'm using antiviruses and firewalls. So making those connections was huge uh, in, in my transition. I'm curious, as a veteran yourself, and, and indeed a, a combat veteran, is there a particular mindset that you find that other folks who've been through the same sorts of things that you have, uh, have within them? Absolutely. I think the mindset brought on from the military world into the, especially IT security space, is the, you know, take any mountain type attitude. One of the toughest things I had to adjust to, or at least better understand, as I transitioned from military world to the civilian world was, oh, we can't do that. Or that's impossible. Often got those types of response from all sorts of people, from IT to desktop support, et cetera. And that's not a mentality a soldier has, right? But our objective is to take a mountain, and we're going to take that hill, and we're going to take that mountain any way, shape, or form. We're going to figure it out and get creative in solving that problem. I think that discipline uh, and that rigor, that work ethic that comes from being in the military is extremely valuable, in, in the, especially IT security. It's a nonstop industry, right? We're constantly seeing new attacks. We're seeing evolution of old attacks. So you have to stay diligent. You have to stay diligent. And you have to stay disciplined and in, in constantly keeping up with the trends. I believe the military, especially in the infantry, teaches you the, those, those skill sets. And what is it like to translate that mindset to folks who have not had that experience? How do you pass that on in a way that normal folks who aren't veterans can understand? Great question. The way we can transfer that type of knowledge, I believe, is mainly by leading by example. I guess a great way to look at it is when I'm going to hire 
people. I can't often teach people to be motivated. If they really want to be in the security space, they'll show it on the front end of that hiring process. On the other end, it's, it's how can I take that, that, that motivation and bring it forward? The drive, the discipline is something that sometimes people need to, that those that are motivated and have a drive, but don't know where to put it. The military, and, and I think that experience allows me to lead that by example and showing that with my team, here's how I execute and here's how I move things forward. And I always think that leading by example is the best way to transfer that type of knowledge. What are your recommendations then for organizations who want to take this sort of approach? How do they get started? Yeah, so organizations that really want to take hold of security posture, make it easier to communicate, is really to break out their work and break out their environment into those three categories. Visibility, you need to start getting an understanding of your environment. I can't count how many customers that I've worked with over, over the years that have come to me with spreadsheets. Uh, and that's their, that's their asset inventory. And they manage it all manually. But when a new asset is spun up or uh, you know, uh, some other tools is put within their environment, they're not aware of it. Right? So visibility is critical. It's important on the battle space and it's just important in the digital world. So starting off with looking at our visibility, what can we see, what can't we see? Do our vulnerability scanners touch all of our environment? Do we have agents deployed everywhere we would expect them to be? But then going a little bit further and knowing when drift happens. So we want to understand when new assets are spun up and they don't meet the security controls, right? These things all fall into the vulnerability, or excuse me, the visibility bucket. The word exposures there is, is, is intentional, right? We want to elevate that conversation and bring it to not only talking about out-of-date software, you know, your typical vulnerabilities, we also want to understand where misconfigurations are in the cloud, right? Overprivileged IAM roles or exposed S3 buckets. These are common, common problems, but is it easy for us to identify these issues? And then threats. How am I being attacked? What are the types of attacks that I'm experiencing? What assets are under attack? And how can I use that to inform other parts of my environment? One thing that security tools, security services are also really good at is pumping out work, right? They're work-producing engines. You turn the wheel, you get more work. Hey, you have visibility gaps here. You have vulnerabilities and exposures there. You have these threats going on in this part of the environment. The tough part here is now, like, how do I prioritize that work? And when we can break it out into visibility, exposures, and threats, we can more effectively prioritize our work. What's the next most important thing you should be working on? And that's the objective here is, is to break them out, categorize them, and then prioritize them based on where your risks are. That's Tom Gorup from Alert Logic. And joining me once again is Betsy Carmelite. She is a principal at Booz Allen Hamilton, also their federal attack surface reduction lead. Betsy, it is always a pleasure to welcome you back to the show. I want to touch today on this notion of adversary-informed defense, uh, working on that offense-to-defense cycle and innovation and those sorts of things. But can we start with some basics here and help me understand when we say adversary-informed defense, what exactly are we talking about here? 
Sure. We're looking, Dave, at how our adversaries also look at our national cyber ecosystem. It's one battle space. So, so standing in the shoes of an adversary and looking at that battlefield, what do they see? That's exactly how we should be looking at our defense and offense approach to that battle space as well. Comes at no surprise to you that our nation's adversaries are dedicating significant resources to honing tactics and executing cyber operations that threaten our national and economic security. For this, the, the United States need to, needs to develop policies, plans, programs, and activities for a whole of nation, one battle space focused effort on full spectrum cyber activities and actors. So um, where we're talking about using offense to inform defense and vice versa, also really a whole of nation change of management exercise as to how we look at the, the adversary. Um, so that's what we're focusing on here. To what degree are, are we functioning in this mode? And, and to what degree is this something an, an area open for innovation? So this is definitely an area open for innovation. I'm going to talk about one of the ways that, that we've, at Booz Allen, have brought a lot of our uh, knowledge and diverse thinking about how offense and defense come together. But the U.S. really must be- better integrate and synchronize the way it conducts cyber offense and defense with a refreshed national strategy. Um, and we're seeing a lot of this in some of the policies that have come out in the last year or so. Related policies, whole of government operating models. It, it sounds maybe you know overstated, but the siloed way that we approach with just looking at offense and looking at defense really needs to come together. Doctrine that goes beyond military minutia or merely, merely a military-focused approach um, needs to change and, and greater, greater clarity and deconfliction around roles and responsibilities are important. So it's, it's very important when paying close attention to the adversary and its techniques, technologies, and tactics to remember this is a long game. It's really easy to overinvest on technical controls and then underinvest on cyber defensive operations. And, and here's why. Knowing the adversary can take years. So this is where our cyber analysts have brought their knowledge about offensive defense and brought that together to scale a solution. And so one of these that we developed is called Snap Attack. And this is a cloud-based software solution that brings together threat intelligence and hacker trade graft to proactively detect and defend against cyber threats. And one of its hallmarks, it also enables community collaboration around threat intelligence and attack emulation um, and detection analytics to help organizations identify vulnerabilities and risks um, before threat actors attempt similar techniques. And this this library is really quickly becoming one of the largest libraries of documented attacker behavior in the world. And, and so this is a, a collaborative sort of thing. I mean, this is a, is this a, a public private thing or is this staying within Booz Allen? How does it work? So snap attack was developed and launched publicly by Booz Allen's dark labs. This is a multidisciplinary elite team of security researchers, threat hunters, penetration testers, reverse engineers, network analysts, 
and data scientists dedicated to stopping cyber attacks before they occur. And they built this based on years of experience in in the commercial and nation-state level cyber operations and cyber defense, otherwise known as blue teaming, as well as in cyber offense, um, known as red teaming. And so last year, Booz Allen announced it had spun out Snap Attack to a standalone company. Um, the product development team will continue to be led by Snap Attack's original developers, both of whom began their careers at Booz Allen, and really exemplify how we innovate and, and grow cutting-edge technology at scale. And so um, we're looking at this to be, and, and it's currently really a game changer in that in that purple teaming space where you're seeing the red and the blue teams combine. And what is the ultimate goal here? I mean, as you move forward with these sorts of efforts, what are you looking towards the horizon? We are still very tied to this innovation solution and we're making investments um, such as in our carrier grade 5G lab um, and, and our IoT incubator investments so that we can incorporate those types of threat detection capabilities within that. Um, and obvi- obviously always looking for continued you know, public partnership um, with how we can enhance that, that really robust detection library and library of threat analytics. All right. Well, Betsy Carmelite, thanks for joining us. The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin. Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Vermatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Fittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.